Hey there, my name is Vosh. I live stream on YouTube and sometimes, accidentally, in spite of myself, something funny or interesting happens. This is Previously Live. Hi, my name is Robert Kulchman, uh, as you can see in the thing there. I am uh, the representative of the project for the Museum of LGBTQ Culture and History. Um, we put the Q in now. <laughs> yes, we put the Q in as of the other day, just for you, Don. Uh, okay. So I guess we'll go down and let everyone do introductions. I guess we can start with uh, Don Tuscan. You can say uh, what you're here for and what you represent. Okay, then I'll change my background so you know what I represent there. Let's see how that works. There. Okay. Well, I'm Don Texan. I am in uh, currently in Port Alberni, British Columbia, Vancouver Island, the most beautiful province in Canada, British Columbia. <laughs> I am the host and creator of a show called Queer View Mirror, which is a show about queer people by queer people for queer people and our allies. It's aired on Shaw Cable TV in uh, 12, 10 or 12 areas so far. And we're just a few steps away from going national. And I ran into Robert and it seems we have the same message and the same things to share. So I thought he would be a uh, formidable ally in uh, pursuing the Queer View Mirror uh, uh, mission, which is to showcase our uh, diversity, authenticity and creativity in the beautiful LGBTQ community. And thank you, Robert, for putting in the queue finally. <laughs> hey, thank you very much. Formerly, um, I know it was only LGBT. Yes, we were on the, we had to get through all the logisticals and some people were still on the fence about putting the queue, but when they <laughs> named me director out of all the teams, I was able to just say, put the queue in. Uh, I guess next we'll go to uh, Miss Monica Helms. Hello, my name is Monica Helms, as he just said, <laughs> and I am the creator of the Transgender Pride Flag, which you see behind me. Um, I also have done many other things, including uh, created the Transgender American Veterans Association with a friend of mine, Angela Brightfeather, and um, several other things, but I won't go into them now. I'm Marshall. Hi, my name is Marshall Shore, and I am the project manager for the Arizona LGBT Plus History Project. Um, when people think of kind of that queer history, they typically think of New York, San Francisco, LA. Um, and starting to kind of work on this project when a local bar was demolished, we realized that our history was quickly disappearing right before our eyes. And so really brought this project to fruition to help kind of look through a new lens and gather that history and discover our own history, which has been a very exciting project. Um, Arizona is full of LGBTQ history. And so it's been kind of fun digging into that and finding more and more almost daily. I'm muted. I'm getting clout. clout well, thank right you very now. much for that introduction, Marshall. Uh, just an added note, Marshall has recently been added as one of the council members or leadership members of the museum project. So he's going to be a little ahead of most of you as he helps me and some of the other council members with the questions we're going to be going over today. Um, I guess would be the person enabled admin. I don't believe we've formally met before. 
Oh, Hi. indeed, Millie. Come on, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Millie Carter Bloodworth, and I am going to Transgender Trailblazer. I moved to Arizona in 1973, right <laughs> after my surgery, and my life began to blossom and change for the better. I am here because the, all of the things that you're talking about today, I am a retired special needs counselor. And yet I'm still doing the work today thinking, oh my God, this will never end. Uh, I am honored to be in your presence and continue the conversation. Let's continue to make a difference. Well, thank you very much. We're absolutely delighted to have you here. And uh, that's a very important topic that we'll have to be adding into the museum as we go on. We haven't had much chance to talk about the overlap with the special needs community though. Um, I and some of the other administrators have worked heavily in that. Uh, I guess last but not least, certainly, would be Vosh. Hey there. Um, delighted to be here in the company of such an illustrious cast. My goodness. Uh, my credentials aren't as impressive as those the people here. Um, I'm a live streamer and a YouTuber, a progressive and a pansexual myself. I frequently speak <laughs> on topics pertaining to the LGBTQ community. Uh, I'm delighted to be here. I've been familiar or at least aware of this project for some time, and I'm just very happy to have the opportunity to speak amongst you. All right. Well, now that introductions are out of the way, I guess for any audience currently listening, we can all go over uh, the basis of the project. As formally stated, this is a museum project, so it's going to be located in Northern Virginia near the D.C. area, and it's going to take foot from its siblings, such as the African-American Museum, the Holocaust Museum, and the Bible Museum. I'm sure everyone's familiar with the various Smithsonian and private museums. Um, we've spent the last few years working on the design. As you can imagine, it's pretty complicated given there are currently 20 to 23 active flags in use, along with overlapping terms and uh, terms that are no longer in use. Uh, over the last three to four years, we figured out the best way to break it down, which would be breaking it into floors on gender and floors on sexuality, while still giving each flag their own hull, which is what we're calling the larger exhibit, since a hull for a flag will have multiple exhibits located in and of itself. Um, this is kind of just introductions. So what we're gonna be doing right now is this is our very first public talk I was just going to go down with some questions that some people have given us and we've gone over just to get everyone's general thought. It's going to be more of a town hall style format so everyone can give their, you know, their answer. And then if there's this discussion, we can have the discussion followed by the ending of the next question. The first few are pretty general state straightforward. So there probably won't be too much discussion to be had, but some of the later ones definitely are more um, complex and bring up some nuances as we've, experience with Don and the reclamation of the word queer. So if that sounds good with everyone, uh, I guess we can get started and go down the questions. Everyone good? Yes, very much so. Thank you. All right, cool. Uh, well, so the first question is pretty straightforward, and I guess I'd like to hear everyone's take on what LGBTQ history is to them specifically. A lot of people have a different focus that they like to talk about mainly. Uh, I guess we can start with Marshall. 
Um, for me, LGBTQ history really is um, those stories of people from eons ago and allowing them to have presence, their stories to be told, um, whether they are with us or not. Um, as terms change, um, I know a project that um, I've talked to, with Monica about was a gender pioneer from 1906, a Russian gentleman who passed away here in Phoenix um, without a headstone and actually come to find out it is the first, um, a guy has written a book about it and it is the first book on a trans person in Russian. And so when he passed away here, and so even though those terms did not exist then, he was living his authentic life as a man to the point where he actually had, um, he had one wife, got divorced, had another wife. And so it's really trying to allow for those stories to be told regardless of terminology changes, um, allowing those stories to just help document and create a path for all of us to see that we indeed are not a new thing that we have been around forever. Um, when you look at the term two spirit, it's a new term for a philosophy that is centuries old. Okay, great. And I guess we'll go on to uh, Monica next. Yes. Well, my focus is all, has been on um, trans history, but specifically military trans history. They made the flag. Uh, people the that uh, served in the military that that uh, was would be considered trans today, or those people that are gender nonconforming. Um, a lot of women served in wars to. Uh, either fight right alongside their husbands or uh, fight because they wanted to fight and they uh, couldn't as women. So they, they uh, went in as men. And uh, there are a few that actually continued living as men past the uh, war that we were in. Um, and uh, so I also am uh, familiar with a lot of the 20th century trans people that have served in the military. Um, many men who uh, later uh, transitioned to their true selves. And uh, like myself, I was, I served eight years in the Navy, uh, served on two submarines. And um, I, uh, you know, I transitioned later in life. So there was many. There's many like that. This, their stories are are wonderful to think about. But uh, I like the idea that uh, you know the uh, gay and lesbian people were able to serve openly in the military, and then finally we came along afterwards, five years later. Uh, so there's a lot of history, everybody together, but. Um, I'm uh, very glad to help people. If there's anything, if I can't find it, I know somebody will know who, who will know it. So thank That's you. Definitely a great take. And already we're seeing multiple differences in the, the aspects as it's a massive community. Um, I'm going to formally apologize because I'm really bad with names. So unless I hear a name twice, like I, I won't remember it. So 
Adnan, can you please repeat your name again for me? And I'll, I promise I'll remember it for the rest of the stream. So are you talking to who? I'm oh, talking Millie, to that is you. Millie. Oh, it's oh, Millie. 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 Okay. All right. Yes. Millie. Thank you. I'm just, I have a neurodivergency, so names are particularly hard to remember unless I hear it twice. Um, you can go up next, and then we'll go on to Dawn and then Bosch, and that's the order it's laid out on my computer. Thank you. I hate Zooming. I've always done this in the doctor's office, in the teacher's office for the past 40 years. Special needs, looking at it. Thank you, thank you. I am on the fence. I am a product of the 60s and watched it change. I was also early on in my life pushed in a part of segregation where black students were bus. I am also a part of my life where my grandfather looked like this panel and had jungle fever and raised my grandmother and all of the children in my family. So when I look at trans in the 60s, it was something to be excited of and lived to express your sex. Rudy Gernrich came out with the topless bathing suit and I was two years on hormones, but I was still hanging. And I went to the beach thinking, eating the beach out, but never thinking that I was gonna be arrested because I was a boy. And when the police took me away and said, oh my God, the dude looks like a lady, that made me feel good. So when I look at growing up, I had to hide. I couldn't be open and let others know that here I am. I had to have a job and I didn't want to be a whore. I wanted other things in life. I am glad that we're having this conversation and the next generation of LGBTQ, they didn't have that. I'm a product of the Benjamin and money. You could not straddle the fence in the 70s. I've had drop dead gorgeous girls that have committed this and have taken their lives because that mind did not match that vagina that they had put in. So I am still sad and excited about the life that I have lived and had the opportunity to live it and meet others like me and others are not like me because there was a fence already drawn in my life saying, you're not good enough. I had to prove myself to be good enough to be invited at the table. That's where I am. And I see it changing because today there are seven LGBTQ students that on campus and there is still not enough information out there about us, but they have a degree. That's where I am. I've lived and I've seen it. Thank you very much for that. Um, definitely, education is is a huge, huge focus. And one thing about museums is they allow educators to take 
their students and explore a little bit more. Um, our next stream later uh, next month actually is going to be with a bunch of professors from uh, various universities in Pennsylvania and on uh, the Eastern coast. But um, Don, uh, I guess you're up. Uh, so the question was, what's my oh. take or my view on LGBTQ history? Uh, yeah, it was, yeah, pretty much. Like, okay. Well, what is uh, it and its importance? well, I'll be the first to admit, I don't know much about LGBTQ history because I grew up in the Philippines and there's no such thing as, you know, the whole, the, the whole, all I know so far is the Stonewall thing, which was in 1960 something, <laughs> 69, I think. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I grew up in the Philippines and there's no such thing as LGBTQ communities. There's only, you know, uh, gay people who are supposed to be hairdressers, fashion designers, or makeup artists. That's the way it is in the Philippines. And because of that, I came out very late. And so now I'm more or less coming in as a catch-up student. I have lots of time to make up for. So I'm just so glad I'm involved with you guys because I do need the education and I could really um, learn from the information and experiences that you have to share. So there's not much I can say about LGBTQ history per se because I'm just getting started on it. And I'm glad I am finally after coming out at the age of 51. So I am a late bloomer and a late uh, person who came out. So, and I uh, have a lot of catching up to do. That's where I'm coming from. That's, that's definitely a good take because we're going to find so many people who are, um, you know, have, have been experienced, who have not experienced everything. And plus, just with the different flags, everyone's going to be learning together from multiple different areas. But uh, that's a later question. So I guess, uh, Vosh, you're up. Yeah. Um, back a couple hundred years ago, the Catholic Church persecuted people who were left-handed. Uh, people who were left-handed were thought to be servants of the devil. Um, they were taught that prayer and, you know, chasteness could make them right-handed. Uh, some people argue that it was a personal choice. There was some idolatry going on. And, of course, nowadays, this is this looks and sounds ridiculous. Nobody today, I mean, maybe some people, but the vast majority of people today would hear of that bias against left-handed people and think, that is absurd. We don't do that anymore. We don't have any ridiculous, arbitrary, unjustified prejudices against people anymore. But... I think a hundred years from now, we're going to see the way we treat LGBT people today pretty much the exact same way. It's ridiculous. And one of the biggest frustrations that I have with the way the LGBT community is treated broadly is the idea that this is some sort of modern frivolous thing. It's like this these teenagers, you know, and the college students. Um, that today is every bit as ridiculous as a Catholic priest in 1482 saying that this left-handedness thing is some newfangled fad, a product of fatherlessness or of, you know, uh, straying from the light of God. It's ridiculous. We have these prejudices and these presumptions that the life we live is supposed to be a certain way, and we're taught that through media. If you take a look at the television, the movies that existed back in the 1950s and 40s, you wouldn't have even believed gay people could exist. It would like conceptually, you wouldn't have even imagined. The only time you would have heard of their existence would have been the CD stories of some relative nobody talked about anymore. It was all kept in the back end, maybe whispers you'd hear of a friend you lost contact with after high school. But in reality, they've always been there. Trans people have always been there. They've taken different names over time, certainly. We've always had different ways of describing these concepts, but 
the underlying idea is every bit as permanent and as natural as left-handedness. And our discrimination against it is every bit as arbitrary as the Catholic Church's was. So I just think that's dumb. And I think that we should probably work to mediate that. Because much in the same way that anyone now would look at, let's say we imagine some country where people still discriminate against the left-handed. Let's say, I don't know, Florida. They still do it there. I don't know. Um, if we looked at that from an outside perspective, we would think that was ridiculous. Medieval. But we do it today. So uh, maybe we should adjust our standards of what we consider medieval. And I think that that's happening now. There are many young people, especially, who are much more progressive on these issues than I ever could have imagined just 10 years ago. But there's still plenty of work to be done. And that is what LGBTQ history and rights means to me. The work that's being done. Yeah, I definitely, I think that's a great take because uh, as some of the younger people viewing will have seen, there's that common notation going around social media stating, oh, there are so many, there are more trans people now or more gay people than there have been. It's a, a new thing and it go, or they're, no, it's not new. They just feel safe. Same with people who have mental health issues or who have mental disabilities or have physical disabilities, or um, as Millie would be able to talk about, you know, special needs. I have a, a sibling which multiple sphere disabilities and how many years ago would they just not have been really grouped in? Um, our next question is the last kind of just opener question. After that, we really get into stuff where we can more so have a discussion amongst ourselves. But this one's kind of like, it's a two-parter really, but you can ask, answer it in, in one, one answer. So how well do you think that uh, the LGBTQ history or queer history, how well do you think it's taught in the current education, just in education or in general society? And how well do you think that the community handles its own diversity amongst itself? So all the flags being taught, you know, just conflicts between the different like gays and transgenders or bisexuals, the huge biphobia that exists. Um, I guess we'll start with Marshall and we'll go in the same order. So, I mean, I think, it, um, I mean, the one thing is when you look at I mean, different grade levels, what is taught? Um, I can remember when there was all kinds of fervor over a book called Heather Has Two Mommies, when that book came out from Allison Publishing, um, up to where you now can study in college queer theory, queer history, but a lot of work needs to still be done on actually identifying those folks that fall under that umbrella of who are those LGBT folks that may not, again, have had those terminologies. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the fact that you've got with Monica talking about how the military, I mean, basically World War II ending and Stonewall happening in the late 60s was not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a very strong tie to that. And that's not readily made. And so when I think that, uh, I think as we move forward with LGBTQ studies, trying to ask more questions, identify more people, situations um, where language doesn't exist or now trying to come up with terms to explain or describe folks that are no longer around, but still allowing their voices to be heard. Um, because, you know, none of us got here all on our own. We are all on the shoulders of oh, so many people that have come before us. Yes. And I think, and that's the important piece is really allowing for those 
prior folks that have helped us that we may not even know, not even know their story, but now trying to give them some amount of respect that they do deserve. All right, um, Monica, you're next. Could you repeat the question just to make sure I got exactly what you're looking for? Yes, ma'am. Uh, so the question basically is, how well do you think uh, queer just history or culture in general is taught in the education system, be it in actual education or in society? And um, how well do you think the LGBTQ community handles its own diversity? So like just between, you know, gay people and transgender people and uh, bisexual people, stuff like that. Well, I have to say that I, I live in Georgia, so I uh, see a lot of uh, discrimination to, to LGBTQ people. Um, and of course, this late, late, uh, uh, lately there, every, every single state seems to be wanting to put out some kind of a trans, uh, anti-trans bill of some kind. Arkansas have passed theirs and their governor signed them, but and Texas will probably soon pass theirs. But a few states like um, North Dakota, they and Utah, they, um, um, they the, the governor vetoed some of these bills. So they're not uh, going. So the, the part of the reason is, you know, being in the South, don't expect to see much in the way of. LGBTQ uh, experiences being taught in school, maybe in colleges, uh, but definitely not in high school or grade school. Um, they 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 around here feel that it's it's a, a terrible thing to be talking about gay people. You don't want to talk about gay people in Georgia, so you know I have to put up with that. Um, I left Arizona, you no, know, was, wasn't that much better. Uh, so glad that Marshall is there and Millie's there. She uh, makes sure everybody's uh, getting things taken care of. But uh, I think that once this tra anti-trans youth trend seems to die, and it will die, and a lot of the laws will, will get overturned. Um, and there'll be, there'll be federal laws that will come in. And, 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 and this is where our education begins. You know, we, we're going to have a lot of people that are going to still want to hate us for, for whatever reason, because they think we're against the Bible. But, uh, you know, they just don't seem to get it so we have to fight in different levels um i know that arizona didn't arizona governor just uh vetoed a uh, an anti-trans bill yeah i i thought so it was not, a lot of my friends were real happy there and i could see you guys are happy about it too but i think that we will be slowly getting more and more education in, in the future. And um, as far as the, uh, how it, the diversity amongst uh, LGBTQ people, there's still a bit of 
anti-trans with some gay people. You know, we we see we see that, um, and then of course you got the turfs that are trying to uh, tell trans people it shouldn't exist. But I I heard that those of us in the South we all came started getting our uh, our whatever together at the same time. Whereas I, I understand that people like in New York, the, the gay people really took over and it was harder for trans people to, uh, to be involved. And they were left out for, for the longest time. So it's gonna take time. Um, I think that we have to, if we set an example, on accepting other people within our communities. You know, here in Georgia, we have um, a lot of uh, things against the um, trans women of color. They unfortunately are being murdered at a, at a high rate still. So we have to, we have to work together. We, that's just the thing. Uh, and I'm glad to be here with you guys, plural. Uh, and thank you very much for including me. Hey, well, thank you for being here. And definitely, like you said, there is a, a little discrepancy and we'll, we'll get past it, but um, hopefully we get past it a little bit quicker, especially with what happened to the uh, that poor 10 year old, everyone yelling at them, but um no, definitely. Uh, I guess, Millie? <clears throat> yes, I am coming a different way. I grew up in the 60s, and it was the Joe Box Review. The Joe Box Review had beautiful drag queens and drag kings, and that set a preference for me. And being that I was a part of that, and yet not thinking of myself as being gay, because if you're a drag queen, the gay boys sort of push you away and say, oh, your neurosis is just too much, Millie. I can't understand. You want to be a woman. So transgender did not really catch on until RuPaul got out there and said, look at me. And now that RuPaul has made an impact and drag has been here since the beginning of time, it took that creativity and that zest in order to make drag queens a market. My brother was one of the Miss Ebony he came and we brought diversity to Arizona. And the reason is because my white grandfather had jungle fever. And he would tell his grandbabies, if I can love Donia and Solomon can love Sheba, that was a good match. And I, I took that to heart as a child because he had blue-green eyes and gray hair, and Sonia had nappy, nappy brown hair. So 
I looked at that and said, oh, here is heaven. That man went to bed every night with that woman. My biological father did not do that with my biological mommy. So I thought, oh, this is the way for me. If I'm going to find a partner, it will be a partner not of my color. Only because it's what a child learns. I was a product of that. This man brought prestige. He made us live in the big house. We was called the uppity N-word. He provided jobs and gave dignity to Blacks. His maids and portlets on the Chicago, Illinois Central Railroad. So therefore, you know, I look at this and say, it's the human condition. We have issues. Some of them are good and some are not bad and I deal with it. I am an old woman that have kissed the demons himself and not HIV free. And there's girlfriends that have done these things and they're gone. So I am blessed to have this conversation with all of you. Thank you for including me and being a part of this. And if there's anything more that I can do, Monica, I haven't seen you since we were at the state fair. And here we are. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, that, that actually, it means a lot. And hopefully we'll be able to get back to state fairs and actual events sooner. But um, in the meantime, I think, Don, you'll be able to bring probably a very interesting perspective to this question, given you you didn't have much of the uh, the interaction, so it was probably a huge culture shock. Well, fortunate for me, I am in the presence of uh, Canadians who are here with me, so I have a little bit of an audience, and they are uh, not young, but they're not old <laughs> So uh, as you were uh, talking, I said, I, I feel like the odd man out. I'm the only Canadian who's not even a Canadian. I'm Asian. <laughs> I've only been in Canada for 2006, but to, so I threw the question to them about as far as education is concerned and how, what strides we have, Canada has done. So as far as I know from uh, Michael, he says there is such a thing in Canada called SOGI, S-O-G-I, built into the curriculum of the schools, elementary schools, elementary schools and high schools, like throughout the whole education system in Canada or in just British Columbia. Well, it's in most provinces, to some degree. It okay, so SOGI means sexual orientation, gender identification, where children in schools are educated towards the idea of acceptance and respect, not just tolerance, because that's my stand. I'm not here to be tolerated. I'm here to be respected and in some ways adulated and celebrated. Because we bring color to everybody everywhere. That's my stand. <laughs> oh, That's why uh, we have the rainbow in our flag, because we bring the color to this black and white, dreary, boring world. Anyway, <laughs> as far as the education of LGBTQ is concerned, I think Canada is, dare I say, a bit ahead of the U.S. when it comes to all this uh, stuff uh, like we we have we have gay marriage here it's already undisputed you can get married same-sex marriage is accepted anywhere in canada not just in some states of the of the u.s as i understand so as far as lgbtq acceptance tolerance education i think 
I have come to the right place. I have come to the right country. <laughs> From the Philippines to Canada and yeah. I said, uh, when my family first thought of migrating to Canada in 1987, I said, I can't because I was at a point where I did not accept that I was gay. I played being straight so well that I deserve a, a Lifetime Achievement Award. <laughs> I was married to one woman for 26 years and I have three sons, all adults now. And they already know uh, about their father being gay since 2014, like I just came out late. And uh, I even went the extra mile proving I was so straight. I was a high profile pastor minister in the Philippines with a live television show that ran on Channel 7, one of the major TV stations in the Philippines. It was called Turn On To Jesus. So to thousands of people in the Philippines, I was known as Pastor Don Texan from the show Turn On To Jesus. And I did not preach against my community, of course. I always preach that God is love and he accepts everybody. But my other colleagues in the ministry, of course, always preached about Sodom and Gomorrah and fire and brimstone and the judgment coming upon the perverts and the homosexuals and blah, blah, blah. But that was written in Romans chapter one by the apostle Paul, who is very strongly rumored to be gay himself. But anyway, that's for the Catholics to resolve. Wow. <laughs> as far oh. as their dogma is concerned. <laughs> Growing up, going to a, a private Catholic school, they, they tried to resolve that as best they could. But no, well, definitely, we've got to work on on adding that. I mean, our education system's pretty much, and uh, Vosh, you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, you're more familiar with this than I am, but I'm pretty sure it's related just to university level with some, like, high schools mainly have clubs, and right now, as we see with all the states, anything lower than that, they're just like, why do they need to know? Mm-hmm. Well, according to my friend Michael here, there was a univers a Christian university that... Uh, prescribed or required somebody to be Christian before you could enroll in their university. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, if they're if they're private, they can do that. Oh, they even had to sign a document to apply to that university. They will not have sexual relationships outside of marriage. So you know that whole standard straight, you know, two faced uh, moral yeah. code. Like anyway. the, the rings we had. Anyway, they lost uh, their license. That's how I'll strong let... Canada is here. Where they lost their license. <laughs> Well, I'll let Vosh take it away now, and um, he's on the opposite coast as me, so we can probably give uh, maybe correct some information if I gave anything wrong. No, you're completely correct, uh, especially with lower education up until college. Um, I think that basically anything other than heterosexuality is basically considered to be a sexual topic. Like, it's inappropriate to teach kids about it, you know? Heterosexuality is either assumed or it's referred to as a matter of biological course. It's physiology, you know, uh, chromosomes and what have you, which is very sterilized, very medicalized. But any mention of homosexuality or what have you, it's usually treated as more of um, like a, a flourish or a lifestyle choice. At least that's the way it's kind of treated implicitly in the way people talk about it. And for that reason, it's considered frivolous and inappropriate for children. Now, I the college experience that I had was... Very LGBT friendly. Um, I think it was about as friendly as you're going to get. I think that the college experience I had was pretty much a model of what good LGBT positive experiences should be for people. Um, but man, just even back like 10, 15 years ago in, in middle and high school, um, these topics are spoken with such hushed tones. Such a, you know, it's everything is is, is covered in the, the shroud of uh, 
conceit and mystery. I, I don't even remember how old I was when I first realized what bisexuality was. And it took even longer for me to realize what transgender meant. Or, because, you know, we, we, we hear these terms um, early, but usually it's in a negative connotation. Like, uh, here's a way a person can be deviant. The totality of the idea is usually not made evident. Sometimes people forever, sometimes they never know. Um, at the very least until you're older. Um, when it comes to the organization of the current sort of, I guess, queer pride movement, I think that things are looking very positively right now. There are efforts to divide the L's from the B's to the G's to the T's. You know, there are attempts to separate people, but they're usually done by conservatives. Um, a very common conservative tactic is to say, well, okay, Lesbians, gays, and bisexuals, I'm fine with you, sure, great, but trans people, ho-ho, why are you hitching your movement to those types? But this is usually done disingenuously, because the people who make those arguments are also anti-gay, anti-lesbian. What they're trying to do is divide and conquer, and people are falling for it less and less than they ever have before. You know, Stonewall is a lesson in this, of course. Trans people were some of the first and most active agents for change, in this country with regards to LGBTQ rights, and then they got thrown under the bus for about 40 years because the beneficiaries of those activities were predominantly gay and lesbian, well, predominantly white gay and lesbian people, uh, and it was easier optically for them to sort of distance themselves from that, from the consequences of their own actions. But we're getting better about this. Right now, there are Black Lives Matter rallies where people are throwing around that flag. You know the one. It's It's got the... It has the trans colors. It's got everything. It's the everything flag. You know what I mean? The bi POC trans positive flag. That, and I think the popularity of that flag, even though, and I admit to my bias here, I, I think it's a bit busy design wise. The popularity of that flag is really heartening to me because I think we're finally converging on what should be the what we're what we began with the ultimate intersectional approach. You're holistically progressive. If you're for one thing, you're for everything. You all stand together. Because if you let up, if you let conservatives or reactionaries take any little bit of your advocacy movement, they'll use that as a wedge to drive people further apart the next time these topics come up. So you never relent on anything. Never relent on the child trans healthcare. Never relent on the bathroom accessibility. Never relent on BLM. Don't relent on any of the issues. Because weakness on one side of the progressive front is weakness for every progressive. Just keep pushing forward. And so far, we're winning. The stats pan that out. Every single time a poll is taken, a general acceptance of gay marriage, of trans people, what have you, it goes up. Not just here in America, but elsewhere around the world too. Argentina and Spain both have really, really solid public perceptions of trans people, for example. This is a worldwide movement. And I, while I can't say that we're incapable of losing, I think the odds are very much in our favor at this point yes um no definitely and like you said the, the divide and conquer as we saw with the the original appearance of western separation bathrooms was to try and keep uh it was an anti-feminist thing trying to keep women more in the house and then with the uh voting in the u.s where recently they voted against the the trans rights bill on the on the west coast saying i forget which state but it was saying oh we need to protect women's rights and then they had the Women Inclusion Act, which they also voted against literally the next week. And um, going off on like history, uh, no, definitely one thing I wanted to say off of what Vosh said was um, 
in schools in America, it's kind of taught that it's the default to be cis and straight is the default. And this is something I see uh, before this. I worked in Hollywood back prior to COVID when that was a thing. And I'd work on small, um, you know, web series. And I'd noticed a lot of writers and a lot of people, they'd, every time they change someone ancient, like with uh, uh, the one character from Star Wars, he's the Han Solo's friend. Why am I blanking on this? Chewbacca. Did anyone... No, 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 no. The, the one who had the Falcon prior to Han. Um, oh, um, oh, the really cool guy. Uh, yeah, like the really like the player guy. Lando Calrissian, yes. Yeah. They recently announced he's, he's paying. He doesn't care. He goes into a bar. It's like Woodstock. He has fun with it. And the actor who played him came out and said, yeah, we, we, we acted him like a dude who just does whatever. It's a guy, it's a girl. He, he wins a, a mining or a hotel one day and sells it the next day. And a lot of the fans freaked out as to like, oh, this is some woke push forward. You can't change a character. And I'm like, this is a character who we don't know their sexuality. We've never seen them in a relationship other than a one night stand. We don't know literally anything about them. This would be no different than if Malfoy's Goonies, you know, Boyle and whatever the one was, came out and suddenly one of them was trans, one of them was gay, and it just happened. And that came out later. And they go, well, yeah, but we already know they're, they're straight. And it's like, do we? It's, it's treated as kind of the default, and that's something that we definitely, as we go more into theory in university and those people get out and start teaching, we'll slowly start to see that change more in the U.S. too. Um, Don, did you have a, a question? That's why you raise your hand there. Yeah, uh, I'm just curious about uh, Vosh has the best audio. So what mic are you using? I'm just curious. <laughs> it's an AT, um, AT, AT40 Audio-Technica. And thank you. It's just uh, a product of the industry. Can I add one quick thing, by the way? Yeah, go, go ahead. I, I also think it's important to point out that the arguments reactionaries have been using against trans people today are the same ones they were using against gay people 10 years ago. The trans bathroom <laughs> bill thing the we don't want trans women in our women's bed. This is identical to arguments that were made um, against uh, gay men in men's locker rooms or, you know, anything to that effect. And those arguments were the same as arguments made 50 years ago because white women didn't want black women in their changing rooms oh. and bathrooms. So the, the, it's the same. Many forms, many areas, right? Yeah, it's the same. We just keep fighting against the exact same argument over and over. But they're running, I mean, they're running out of excuses, really. The advent of the internet, modern technology, people are getting more and more familiar with these arguments. We aren't as susceptible to the generational cycle as we were before. We can familiarize ourselves with history much easier. So it's a losing bid. I mean, they're running out of gas. The argument is also less valid as time goes on, because like the argument, we don't want uh, trans people in the bathroom for the safety of women. No guy is going to go on on two years of this, you know, hormone or this societal changing or this public changing just to go in and be and be pervy. If he's going to do it, he's going to break the law and do it anyway, because either way, it's illegal. Like with gay people, you'd have to make the argument that gay people don't find you attractive because you're just afraid. You don't want gay people doing to you what you do to women and gay people don't find you attractive in the, in, in the first place. And like, as it goes on and it gets into these more nuanced territory from same-sex people of different race to people of different orientation to trans people, it becomes harder and harder to hold that same same argument. But the um, next one, it's going to be like 20, 30 years from now, it's going to be like, um, like uh, uh, we don't want ghosts 
inhabiting the same restroom. <laughs> There's got to be some whatever comes next, and they're going to make the same argument. And I don't know if I'm, I'm I, don't, I don't know if I'll be on the pro ghost. Or... Another planet. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Do we want? Do we want to share our restrooms with extraterrestrials, robots, and the ghosts? I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to sit on that side of the aisle. Maybe I'll be a robo robo phone. Oh, cute, fine. Yeah, but I'm assuming they're not already here. Oh, and, robots and by, the take way, over. by the way, Lando's girlfriend was a robot. There, well, that looks like I'm yeah. already behind the times then. Yeah, no, because they, they updated it. They had them have that relation, that unconfirmed relation with the, the robot that became literally the Falcon because they, they uploaded the AI. Oh, I'm, but, um, I'm the I, robot. Behind yeah, the robot. Was what? Bi or pan? Uh, we don't know. All we know is it had a female voice. Um, no, the next so Binary. One, <laughs> I think I'm going to mix two questions here because um, this one's just kind of with the way our conversations are going, it works a little bit closer. Uh, this was something that Marshall was definitely concerned a lot of, about a little bit. And given that we have so many people here from just different generationals and different stories in history, uh, how do you think that the, the museum or education in general can bridge the, the generation gap between the community? And do you see any problems with intersectionality in the community, be it from age, experience, or anything. Uh, I guess we'll start with Marshall again. Um, I think when you look at our history, you do have, um, and kind of, I think in, by some people's view, it's kind of a negative thing is the fact that we lost at least one, two generations of LGBTQ folks to HIV AIDS. I mean, growing up in a small Indiana town, um, pretty much not many survivors from that entire community of friends. Um, I'm one of, as far as I know, two out of a whole crowd. Um, those voices have been lost and they ranged across the spectrum of people. And I've also heard from younger folks about, well, you know, why do you keep bringing up that doom and despair of HIV AIDS? Because now it's a manageable, livable disease. But again, that is part of our history. Um, and views of things can easily change. Um, we now have gay marriage that is legalized. But not everyone, I mean, my partner and I have been together 27 plus years together. We are still not married. And allowing for those differences of, we don't need a piece of paper to say, hey, you know, you've got a relationship. Um, and I think everyone has a valid voice, whether I've talked to folks um, who are freshmen in college who have a cohort of trans young men that run around. And I'm like, you know, I really would love it if you would pull out your phone once a week and just do like a video diary of what you're doing, where you're going, what cafes are you going to, what classes are you taking? What are, what are kind of the issues? I was like, you know, it may mean nothing now, but in 20 years, looking back and reflecting on those teenage years, I, I mean, I can't imagine in college having a, group of trans men to hang around with. Um, and I think those differences in how communities view things evolve over time. But I really think the museum can really kind of allow that intergenerational. I know it's like with Millie, we've done some storytelling things. And I think that's a great way to get people to start sharing those intergenerational stories so that we start to capture what was it like back in the day versus what is it like now it may not be the easiest now but we've all overcome hurdles and 
that's the commonality is coming over hurdles. And so sharing those and getting us all to realize, you know, whatever those hurdles are, we're all here to support you as you climb over those. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a, a great opening start and a great take on the, the definition as well. Um, obviously, that was your question, so you'd be prepared. Uh, um, I guess, uh, Monica, do you have anything to add to that? Well, I liked what the Smithsonian did when they accepted my flag. They, not, they just not only got the flag. They wanted to know everything about my history. They wanted to know, you know, when they found out I was in the military. They wanted to know all my military stuff and everything that I did. A history of, uh, uh, of uh, my children and everything. They wanted to know the whole story. And, and so it was, it's just not just, hey, we have this item. We want to know where it started, where it came from, what was the inspiration, what was everything. This is a, this is a model that I think this museum should use, is to go into the history of the very people that have created these, these uh, various flags. Find out as much about them as possible. Where did they go to school? Where did they, you know, did they get married? Do they have kids? Uh, were they, did they serve in the military? Did it, whatever, you know? And, and I liked the fact that if they, if they ever put it on display, because uh, they don't have an LGBTQ wing yet, but if they ever put it on display, they're going to have other things in my life that are going to be on display with it, including uh, several things from my submarine days. So I think that if we're going to get the flag, uh, I would hope that we can get as much other information and par uh, paraphernalia, if you want to call it, items from that very person who created it. Um, so that way we're adding to the story. We're giving a lot of story to, to, to this very item. It's not just the Vi flag. It's a bisexual flag created by Michael Page in, in 1998. And, and Michael was part of the Binet USA. And these are various things that I know about just him. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that we can, you know, if we know who, who made these various flags, who's the original creator, then we know, then we need to know those stories, which adds to the, the, the color of, of our community. It adds to, wow, this person did, did this. This person realized that they were pansexual and so they decided to do this you know this was their inspiration so i want to know as much about the person behind the flag as i want to know about the flag itself um i'm just gonna hold you right there for a second because dom was uh letting us know in chat that he has to go take care of something else so i just want to say goodbye to john don and thank you for being on and coming on the show and being a part of this bye don Maybe we could talk later, Don. Okay. Yes. We'll catch up.
Okay. All right. Um, and then just, I wanted to uh, cut in there for a second, uh, Monica, and just say something. So earlier, Monica had mentioned to me the importance of intersectionality and just in flags themselves within their communities. As multiple people have made variants of the transgender flags, hers was just the one that took off. With uh, polyamorous, most people use the polysexual uh, flag, which if I remember correctly, I think it's pink, green, and there's there's one other color. But there is a poly polysexual you know, sexuality, polyamory, there's a flag for that too, which was blue, red, and black and had a yellow pie symbol. Everyone hated it. It looks terrible. It really, it just looked like a conservative warping, like USSR type thing. And um, they tried to remake it and seven people remade it. And ultimately they just said, the best one was the first one. We're going to go back to that. And as a result, most people popularly use the uh, pink, green, and it was the other color. It's either yellow or blue. I can, I, there are too many flags for me to remember off the top of my head. I, I'm sorry, guys. But um, that's definitely something important is you got to look at each flag because this example is really well done with the polyamory flag where each flag tells a different story as to why it was made that way. Monica and I had a long discussion on the, just some of the different trans flags and how each one tells a story. There's reasoning behind the design, why they designed it like that. And, and uh, I think that that kind of story will add a lot of a lot of uh, information that people will want to see. You know, you just don't go to a museum and see, oh, there's the the skull of uh, uh, of Lucy the first. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, you get the story about them finding Lucy and why she was named Lucy. The, the yeah. song Lucy in the Sky with diamonds was played when they discovered it. So that's why she was named Lucy. So, you know, the Smithsonian was, it was real good at, at getting as much as they could on, on my original flag and me. And I think that this is, this is a, a goal that we should go for on this museum. Right. Uh, these flags don't just exist. They exist because people wanted them to exist. They had a dream. They had decided this was what it is. And so we want to, we want to hear from them as, and, much, as much as we can. And, uh, and just to clarify for, for Bosch, um, I, I remember this a second girl. You said earlier about the, the newer pride flag. It's been, you know, there were, there were five iterations. There was the first one, which had eight stripes, was it? Or six stripes? Yep. And then they took away one of them, and then they took away all two. And then you have the, the standard one everyone's familiar with. Then Philadelphia made the Philadelphia flag, which had a black and a brown stripe to represent, you know, Stonewall and a lot of history. And then after that, we got what was called the progressive pride flag. And that's the flag Bosch is referring to that has the triangle on the side and has the black and the brown stripe. And then it has um, inside the triangle is the trans flag. And then outside that is just the generic rainbow modern use flag. Yeah, but, um, I think that... Um... I think eventually we're ju just going to have to print a color wheel on the yeah. uh, on the flag on to the really flag. encompass everything we can. I, I, it's it's silly. It it is silly that like everything's getting thrown in there, but it's amazing too, you know. Yeah. Um, because it used to be these groups and political pressures were so isolated. Um, they may have individually believed in the basic tenets of intersectionality, you know, getting along together, recognizing our shared privileges and prejudices, but um. It's really hard to actually act on that. Um, the internet's made it a lot easier. 
you were, um, what was the premise of the original question that you asked? I had a, a response to that prompt, but. Um, well, the original premise was, how do you think that uh, the museum and just education in general can work to help bridge the, the generational gap? You know, we all come from different generations with different experiences. And what problems from that do you see with intersectionality, like having different terms where queer for one group, I'm sure someone here was at a time when queer was a hard slur. Right. And now we've kind of reclaimed it as that umbrella term. So just intersectionality. Yeah. There. So the Internet has made this so much easier, um, the intergenerational um, activism, because it used to be before people were largely constrained to social circles and activist circles that reflected their age. Um, because by the time a new generation of, I don't know, college activists came out, they had their own names for everything, their own terms, their own magazines, literature, heroes, idols, and battles. And for that reason, there was a lot of friction, I think. There still is, to an extent. The queer thing, I think, is a very good example of that. I have never in my life heard queer used as an insult outside of the movies my father would sometimes watch. Beyond that, I have only ever heard it used as a positive. Only... LGBT people referring to themselves or to other LGBT people in a positive sense. But I've seen the movies of my dad, and I know that back in his generation, or a generation before that, people would have had very different experiences. And if a gay kid growing up in the 50s, you know, doesn't like hearing the word queer because it was used against them back then, I can't really blame them for being sensitive about it. It seems like inevitably queer is going to be um, recontextualized. That just seems to be the course that we're on which is probably good, fewer words to hurt people with. Another big intergenerational gap that I see are TERFs. Many TERFs act basically identical to second generation or second wave feminists. Um, they use the same language, they idealize the same writers, but they've twisted the literature and the language into some sort of essentialist critique of men that they then transpose against trans women. Um, if you look at the people they read and the arguments they use, they, they're very, very fundamentally similar to some of the radical feminist writings back in the 60s. It's just, of course, you know, now we see how that writing pans out over time. I'm fairly critical of the way those ideas manifest today. I mean, J.K. Rowling is a great example, for one. J.K. Rowling is a, very classically a turf. Her arguments against trans people are rooted in, I guess, the worst expressions of second-wave feminist writings you could find where all the power dynamics and relations between men and women are reduced to biological essentialism that is of course maintained in the environment with trans people and uh, trans men are lost lesbians and trans women are predators and and it's all really horrible stuff but a lot of it is just that was the theory of the 60s today it's 2021 it's been two to three human generations. It's entirely possible for us to update our writings on this. And the fact that nowadays people of any generation can communicate with one another, I think it makes it a lot easier to do that. At the end of the day, bigotry is derived almost entirely from fear of the unknown. It's really easy to dislike or fear or be disgusted by trans people when you've never met or talked to one. Um, nowadays, more people... I saw stats on this. I think that nowadays for Generation Z, so people who are 24 or younger, I think, more than half of them have at some point in their lives been friends with a person who is LGBT. I think it was as high as maybe mid-60s percent. That number is more than four times the number for the, um, for the baby boomer generation. 
that's just incredible work done. It's very difficult to maintain bigotry in that environment. I, I definitely think J.K. Rowling is an interesting example of um, doing good while personally doing bad because those books around the time, like you yourself have said, you've not read those books, you don't like those books, um, but things oh, no, like I, that. And, wait, Harry Potter or the second wave feminist books? Uh, you, you didn't like Harry Potter, did you? Did you read well, it? I did read it, but I don't like okay. I've just, it's okay. It's, that's my anti-British bias, but yeah, I did. Some other it. YouTuber didn't like it. I might I must have gotten that confused because they hadn't read it, but they read these and didn't like it. Either way, things like that and like Percy Jackson served as this this big societal boom. It was you had all these queer kids who didn't have anywhere to go. They weren't accepted into society. They weren't accepted at home. Online hadn't given them this like online you know presence where you can talk with people who understand you yet. And these books served as this, this escape to the point where a lot of those kids overlooked the bias to the point where with like Harry Potter, uh, some of the bias didn't come out till later in the book in terms of just bias you saw with um, uh, Jewish people and uh, uh, transgenders and other people like that. And it, it, I just think it was interesting. Um, so to go back to, to Millie, I actually had a question for you in regards to this as a whole, the question we just asked. Uh, like Marshall had said, you know, hasn't been, you haven't been married, right, Marshall? You don't Correct. Do you intend I, to? I have not been married, even though Paul and I have been together 27 years. Do, so there's like this point in the community where, yes, we want to push for equality all across the board. There are some people who don't care. I want to know your take on the importance of everyone working together, even for things that might not necessarily internally affect them. Uh, just because one of the council members of the museum uh, she's basically, she's in a, a, a straight passing relationship and she could get, you know, married, but she and her partner can't, they're basically eternally engaged because they have a disability and they're like, obviously just societal issues all the way around. And if you stamp one law, it might not necessarily affect the other. So I was wondering if you have any, any thoughts on that because of your work. Yes. Uh, it takes me back to the days when I owned three houses for HIV. And I didn't understand why the state could come in and close me when one of them were already contracted by the uh, city of Phoenix. All of my paperwork, but my fingerprints came back transgendered with a name, but the same social security number. And trans was not discussed in the 70s or 80s. So I believe that I was an escape goat and my business was forced to close. And a number of the HIV clients that I had had to be um, sent to different homes and they were not comfortable with. However, I decided that I would become a transgendered advocate. I married my husband. We will be celebrating this April 36 years of marriage. I married him because I was wounded. Now, would I have married my husband today? Had that not? No, I married him to validate me. That way I went into the school system and once I went into the school system, I advocated post-stop trans. I was free. I worked for Phoenix Access when I first got 
to Phoenix. That's where I put the doctors together for HIV. That's where I got the idea for opening my home and having Phoenix's first heterosexual that was given contaminated blood when gay men were dying. My brother was an entertainer and also a nurse at Phoenix Baptist Hospital. We had contact with Dr. Cunningham and Dr. Fisher, who are contracted doctors today. So my history not only outed me, it gave me the strength to be my woman and go into the Madison School District and be the first transgendered African-American woman and retire there 20 years later. That's my history. And I'm proud of that because it has opened many doors for a number of girls that did not have the opportunity or the chance. I was given that opportunity and I took the chance and there's no regrets because there's good things that happen and there are bad things that happen. Sure, my business was closed. I sold those businesses to undocumented Hispanic families. And one of the families called me last year and said, are you the Miss Bloodworth that bought me my first Nike shoes? And I said, Daisy, I stay? She said, yes. I'm going to run in the 2021 Olympics. You're a part of that. That's a blessing. So I have made a difference in many children's lives and never been a mommy, but I have rocked many babies. And that's what I hope my tombstone will say. She was never a mother. Oh, but the baby she's rocked. So I'm proud of that. Did you say you were working with Dr. Fisher? Oh, yes. I started with Dr. My first, he was the doctor that, that started my transition. Yes, of course. He was the only one at that time. There were many doctors, but they were not contracted during the uh, access days. And there was so much fraud going on at that time. Mercy Care is the only that is still going today. And I left Mercy Care to open Buffalo Pops and they're still going today. So I look at that and say to my history, I hope you get my history right because I won't be able, but I'll send a boat down if you don't get it right. Boom, boom, boom. Marshall will get it right for you. Yeah, definitely. Well, we have for each, each Hall specifically, I know we only have so many uh, leadership teams, but for each hall, we're going to try and get as many like people who can look over it and just make sure everything's absolutely good. But um, that, that reminds me, I'm sure uh, since Vosh and I went to university around similar times, you've probably uh, remember this as well if you took any of these classes, but like movies like Paris is Burning around that time when they used to have um, the, the group homes. So you're you're kind of like that. The, yes, the leader of course. Of old school. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm old school. All right. Well, unless anyone else has anything to say on the, the theory topics, we're going to move into our last few questions, which are all actual physical museum location or like about the museum base. So 
if everyone's good to go, we'll move on to those last ones and and finish up here. Absolutely. Oh, you know, I All took right. architecture classes in high school. I assume that I'll have the opportunity to uh, have input on its actual design, physically build it, you know? Uh, given as you were the one who pushed me into all this, I would hope so. That's right. actually true. But beforehand, I used to be a, a generic, like, go with the motion, do whatever would work. You know, I, I was on ROTC track. I, I grew up in a, an old style house in Fairfax, basically the capital of the Hunger Games. And, uh, you know, I was just put into the Fox News was the default on our on our cable box up until I went to university. And then my friend uh, introduced me to Vosh and he's just like, hey, you're good at talking to people. You should try and actually learn how all this stuff works. And then I got removed from ROTC due to, uh, um, well, Trump rules. And uh, I was I was continuing to watching Vosh more and more. And I was talking with some friends who were just like, you know, trying to figure themselves out. They were some of them were eggs, some of them were hatchlings, and they weren't quite sure. And they were learning stuff. And I was taking classes and talking with professors. And we went to to the Pennsylvania Capitol and we talked with some more people. And one thing led to another and formed. And then. They decided that for some reason they wanted me to speak. I don't know why, but so far it's going well. But um, the next, so the next main question for like, uh, this has to do with the hall. So the, as I said before, all the flags will be broken up into various halls. Um, mo for the most part, some of them will be inside different ones. Like, you know, the lesbian hall, we'll talk about uh, labia lesbian and lipstick lesbian and butch lesbian and things like that. The trans hall will have all the different trans flags. And uh, this might have been Millie. Marshall never actually mentioned the name, but someone recently designed a new flag. So I guess we're up to 23 now, but this is another ally flag. So this is our next question. It was a trans ally flag. Because um, we have the main ally flag, which there was some issue with the, the community with, because it, it looks rarely similar to the hate group, the straight flag, because they're both black and white, but it's like, what you're going to do? Um, that was made after the ally flag was made. So... Uh, the question is, how does anyone have any concerns with how we handle ally representation? Because the museum, first and foremost, is education to the community. It's to people who want to learn more about the history, like Don, if he was still here, hatchlings at any age, eggs who are still finding themselves. But we also want to have this education to allies. You know, you go to the museum and you, your friend takes you, or, and they don't know anything and they're still learning, or your parent. They, they're they're more leaning towards that that gamergate hole but they're starting they want they're interested they want to learn they want to care for their kid so right now what the the council has kind of agreed on is having an actual hall specifically for allyship we think this would be the best way to get about going things because you have each hall which would cover that hall in particular and then sort of on the the ground sub level floor you'd have areas like libraries and uh, help hope centers um, one initiative I've been working on with some universities around my area is these things called closets, which are basically people donate clothes and um, trans people or non-binary people or gender queer people can try on different outfits and jewelries. You know, all the wonderful experience of an in-person mall, but with the safety of online shopping. So there will be that lower section of the museum. Allies can walk through and they can go directly to the ally hall. And I thought that was the safest way. There will still be overlapping mention. Obviously, you're going to have like overlapping talks of different terms in each hall but a lot of people felt conflicted like why are you giving allies this representation because some people don't even think they deserve a flag and i just want everyone's general thought on that so i guess we can start with with marshall and move on to monica and then millie and then vosh 
Yeah, so I mean, when you, I think when you look at flags, um, Kindertonin um, basically recently created the trans ally flag because her wife was like, you know, I'm not trans, but I do want to fly a flag to support my wife and the community that surrounds <laughs> me. And so that was the reason why she went about creating the trans flag. Um, I think when you look at Arizona, we also had Native P flag, which was the only plea flag chapter that really focused on those indigenous communities um, until recently they couldn't continue leadership. So actually they are no longer a P flag chapter. Um, I think it's important that there have been allies pre flag just in terms of our communities. They were around long before a flag, but that is now a marker and using that to organize the story, but that there are stories that will exist before that, as well as stories that exist after that. And so, and I think as long as we allow for that continuum of stories throughout those times, that that really, for me, is the focus. All right, and uh, before we move on, just to try and highlight the focus a little bit more, because I think we're all in agreement pretty much on what you said with flags in general. Moving towards the topic of just allies, a lot of people, uh, are conflicted on whether or not they deserve that level of representation as a marker. I personally, and many of the, uh, the council personally, think that they deserve that marker because it, it marks um, a stronger unification. It marks a stronger time. Like Because before, it was just, we wanted to be accepted as the norm. We want to be the more norm. And once one group's accepted, they kind of leave the other ones behind. Like, you know, this group's accepted. And well, as we saw with Stonewall. So I think having the marker of an ally flag and people who are willing to take up the ally flag overall and can learn the history and learn what it means to be a good ally. Cause we've all, we've all seen those, those, those cringe, cringy allies. Vosh has talked about them and, and we've all experienced them, but I just wanted to get your talk on like how we, like, is it appropriate to represent them and how much representation do you think they deserve? Do you think giving the, the hall where we can specifically talk and try and keep, cause it, it would be segregating in a little bit too, because some people who may not, be comfortable going over into all the museums or like if you're going there and you're you're a hashling and you're you're trans and you're wanting to go to the the closet and try on clothes and try being yourself it would be a little bit level of you can stay away from the, the ally hall while allies are talked everywhere else um so yeah monica do you have any uh yes i do believe that we that uh we should give allies pretty much uh, a similar a hall for them, for them. We need a place where everything is the basic terminologies, the basic, you know, what you go in and it says, what is transgender? And what, what is the term transsexual? What is cross-dresser? What is, you know, these are things that many people who are our allies don't know. And so this would be a hall where it would be educational. You know, terminology, uh, various books that are possibly available, you know, with uh, uh, keep it, uh, the old saying, kiss, keep it simple, uh, whatever the other S you want to put on there. Um, and that's what we should, that should be a simple place. There'll be a lot of allies who are, 
who are going to need that simplicity. There's not going to be a lot of allies. There might be a bunch of allies that won't need that simplicity. You know, they, they'll be able to go to the trans because, room because they have a trans child and they, they pretty much have done a lot of education themselves. But there's going to be a lot of people in general that are going to be curious on what is this museum? Why? What? Maybe we should stop and take a look. Hey, Martha, let's take a look at uh, what's in this uh, LGBTQ flag museum. Uh, maybe we can see some, see stuff. You know, we want to make it so simple in some ways that people like that will be uh, educated without yeah. without them knowing it. Actually, you know, educated without them knowing it. Right. Um, there's, there's ways of doing things like you don't have to put a, a little thing that says this is a transgender person. You know, you don't want to have them do a lot of reading. You know, quick, quick and dirty. Make it simple. Keep it right. simple. And just a reminder to, to anyone viewing on wherever you're watching this, um, that is that is going to cause some words that might not have been reclaimed to be used in pure historical context. Like you have transsexual, transgender, transvestite, they all mean something on a fundamentalist term. And that's something people are gonna learn. Like one term means trans, you know, my gender's transition, this is what I'm identifying as. Another was just a medical or a broader term for saying post-operation as if I've had some form, either hormones or I've had full surgery. Like they, there was different terms for all of those. And because some of them were used as slurs, everyone migrated to using only one term. And so we're going to see some of those terms in the museum just to, to prep everyone for that concept, as we've already saw with using the word queer. Well, also, uh, screens with a little video going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm big in video. I do lots of video work. I had all the cameras and everything. I could do whatever you want. I'll put it together. You tell me, okay, here's the script. Put this together, Monica. And then I'll put it together and you can run it on your screen. You know, something simple, you know, uh -huh. animation or, yeah, or those, you know. The interactive button things. It, um, but yeah, we're going to just for the sake of time, because we have two more questions, we're going to move on. Um, Millie and then Vosh. Okay. Well, for me, I was called sex change because the doctors told me you cannot straddle the fence. I've known girlfriends that can pass the physical, but it did not. The brain and that new vagina did not match, and they went to the dark side. So I've seen several uh, sadnesses in my life due to transgender and sex change. I preferred, since I was outed, sex change because <clears throat> when I worked at Sex Fifth Avenue and I was outed, they forced me to go in and take a visit. And I passed the physical. So yet they still stated transgender. And I believe until we have a true name for sex and what it entails, 
because there's the variety in everybody. And some of us like to have gourmet and play with this, that, and the other. And it all deals under sex. When I was a teenager, I read the Kinzer Report. I'm okay, you're okay, because I was called crazy. Boy, you want to go and have your dick cut off. Oh, can you imagine being told that and you're a kid or a teenager? Yes, I want to have it done. And I remember the night that I had it done when they shaved me and I watched him for the last time and said to myself and God, when I wake up, I will have a split. And true enough, when I woke up that next hours or so, my legs were tied to the bed and I had so much cotton and padding over my vagina. I am a, uh, an IV tube. And I was excited. It was over for me. I had become that impossible woman. And from that day forward, I had said, I am a sex change. I was born with a dick and announced, and, and you remove me, but you build me a vagina. I can pass the physical. So I married my husband to validate myself. Look at all of that fear. And I'm still going through that today, but not as much pain because I'm transparent. I show you the woman I am and live it. And you can say, you can take Miss Miller to the bank. That's the only honesty I know and to have. And since I'm being pushed under that scrutiny, I still get that. Today, 40-some years later, teachers looking at me with disgust and disdain. But that's okay. I'm stronger than that. I have lived a happy life as a woman. Not just transgendered, but fish. Woman. So... Yes, but there are many girls that have not had that opportunity, and the surgery is not for everyone. You have to know your head before you can get what you want on the bottom. I've seen so much sadness. I want the sadness to stop. Thank you for having this and giving me a chance to talk about my history and what it looked like for me, because back in those days, when you look at it, I was the prototype. They don't even do the same surgery today that they did on me. So, you know, my history and my woman would be considered prehistoric compared to today. But I'm blessed because I have lived it. Thank you so much, and God bless you all. That's definitely, that's, that's a, I, I like that ending part there just about the, the differences and as we develop and that's that's something i've talked with some people and Vosh and i might um clash on this a little bit because i identify as bisexual he identifies as pansexual to us we basically have the same definition but those terms on their boiled down self mean two different things bisexual still exists on the binary pansexual doesn't and that's a conflict that you see all the time amongst the community where you have 
um, what, what was it called? It was the, the orange and black with the SS. It was, it was super, super gay or super straight or something that came oh, out. No. Yeah. That whole mess. We don't deal with that. But um, th that is, those are terms we're going to have to use because everyone develops in different areas. As we uh, talked with the, the Philippines that haven't developed or developed. My, um, I've heard some, some professors talk to me about how pansexual developed and at the time bisexual should have gone out of practice but because they didn't have some of the flags in the area where a lot of the prominent bisexual activism was, they didn't develop into the pansexual. And once those other flags and those other activists of transgender or non-binary started going to those areas, the bisexual activists just roped it into their term. And now you have these two terms coexisting. Um, I see Vosh scribbling down a lot there. I know you have a great idea. So uh, we're going to go to you next with this question. And unless you say what I think you're going to say, um, I do have a, a special question that I wrote for you specifically oh dear. based on what she said. Well, one of the things I was going to say is that I'm afraid I'm actually going to have to depart soon. So this might be my final contribution in this block. Um, but so to a number of points here, first and foremost, at this point, my position on the bipan discourse is this. I do not care. Whatever term people want to use, whatever makes them happy. There's probably no benefit to be had from parsing out the semantics on that. Um, I actually do have a slightly more contentious opinion. Um, with regards to the ally wing and the ally flag and stuff. Now, this is just my opinion. I know people are going to have different experiences. But when we talk about the trans flag or the gay flag, we're talking about two different and overlapping things that sometimes mean different amounts in different proportions to different people. When a person flies a trans flag, are they saying they are trans or are they saying they support trans people? Now, I'm not trans. Um, I've flown the trans flag. When I do it, I'm saying that I support trans people. I don't think anyone has ever come up to me assuming I'm trans because I had a backpack pin or a little flag on me that had the trans flag. Um, I think that what that means to people, whether they would prefer the flag to represent an identity or an idea, is very much a personal matter. But I will say this much. This sounds a little bit strange, but hold with me here. When I went to college, there were plenty of people who were not gay, lesbian, bi, or trans, but they were culturally those things. Culturally LGBT. And what I mean by that is though, even though they personally were cisgender and heterosexual, the mannerisms that they had adopted, their ideologies, their political positions, were in line with the LGBT community. And you would have to ask. I mean, you could look at them and you'd, you maybe a person, a presumptuous person could look and say, Oh, you must be gay. Well, no, actually. They just got along really well with gay people. And one of the reasons why I really liked that was because it broke um, heterosexuality and cisnormativity as the defaults. Now, that wasn't the default. In these communities, you have no idea. If you go to a college party in the right part of the world, you have no idea <laughs> at all what the people there identify. It's completely alien to you. You can go to a frat party in in um in georgia and you can know i mean you can know the the signifiers are there from people's behavior the language they use you feel these people are mostly straight these people are mostly cisgender maybe entirely so but in some communities you cannot tell and i really like that but that thing that i just described is most enabled by the belief that the flag represents an idea not an identity it further blurs the lines. A trans flag worn on a person's backpack or a pin on their shirt doesn't identify their 
personal demographic characteristics. It identifies their political beliefs, which in my mind is actually much more telling of a person. But again, this could be my bias. I think that an ally wing in the museum is a fantastic idea because whether we like it or not, you know, plenty of good progressive work has been and must be enabled by people who are not a part of the communities that they are explicitly fighting for. No one man is an island, et cetera, et cetera, of course. Um, I like the idea of an ally wing. Allyship flags, I don't necessarily have an issue with those either. I think they can be nice. I I'm not trans again. Maybe I would think if there was a trans flag and a trans ally flag, which would I rather see hanging outside of a college dorm? The trans ally flag, I mean, they both signal the same idea. The trans people are valid. But one of them says, I think trans people are valid, but I am not of them. And maybe there's something, well, not exclusionary necessarily there. Maybe there's something more ostracizing. If there's anything that I would suggest very strongly, it's some kind of message in the, in the LGBTQ museum. Something like, we have split these wings, not because these movements are separate, but because explaining their development within the confines of a building limits us in many ways. In reality, all of these movements, the gay, lesbian, trans, pan, bi, whatever, overlap and intersect in myriad ways, and their struggle is a collective struggle. So remember, as you proceed through this wing or another, that you're seeing only a slice of a greater whole, not separate ideas enclosed within the same building, but the same idea fractured because of buildings being physical spaces that have to be designed as such. I think as long as that idea is being communicated, I'm very much on board with whatever follows from that point. Well, I think we can skip the last question then, because the last question pretty much was there were some people saying, oh, future of museums is online, you should move to an online stuff, and I was going to just get everyone's take, but you and uh, Monica pretty much have described the entire internals of the museum and, and everything. Uh, one of the designs was on the, the entrance, the first internal of the museum next to like your help desk would be on one side that says this is what's going on in the world and the other side which says this is what's going on in that area and then the explanation in the hall going in um before Vosh, before you go i just had one question for you yeah so this goes off what uh millie had said uh this is something you've talked about a lot and this is something i personally believe might be a future progression gender abolitionism uh, there's there's been multiple just different definitions of this that I've seen. And to me, what this means ultimately is outside of some jobs like, let's say, movies or some sports and medical, gender doesn't really have a term. We, we can talk to people, we can say names, we can ask them what their pronouns are in the museum. We're going to have, you know, the little, you can write your name and your pronouns. Mm -hmm. uh, but because you just have so many different people, especially in the trans community, like what does it mean to truly transition? This future, from my understanding, and I, I wanted you to give your definition, correct me if I'm wrong, gender abolitionism would be like changing society so it doesn't exist. You go to a store and you have shoes and you go to running, basketball, whatever sport, and then you go to your size, you know, one to five, five to 14. Obviously, if you really needed to, for the sake of smaller, shorter people, you could have that. Um, you have your underwear sections, which just have, you know, what do you have? And you go to that section, you have jeans in general with different styles, different cuts and shirts. Uh, that was just my baseline understanding. It's removing it from society. And this is something we want to talk about more in the museum as we get closer to the bottom level of just gender and societal interaction. So I was wondering if you could enlighten us a little bit more on your take. Yeah, I think that this concept is best illustrated by the Germans. You know, 
back before the existence of the modern German state, that portion of the world was occupied by many dozens of disparate and sometimes very, very aggressive barbarian tribes, or at least that's what they were called, of course. They were called that by the Romans. And um, these German tribes, you could speak to them, you could speak to the Mongolian tribes who were united by the Genghis Khan. These tribes had very refined and distinct senses of tribal identity and of antagonism towards those of different identities. But today there is one Germany. In the span of just a few hundred years, dozens of different and extremely important distinctions melted away into something that I think we'll agree today is perhaps a little bit more relevant. Now, what happened there? They were unified, and there was, of course, conquest and bloodshed, and that's not good. I'm not speaking positively to that. What I'm speaking positively towards is the idea that at times there were ideas which are relevant and very, very socially important that fade in importance with time. The idea that perhaps in three or four or five hundred years, people are no longer taught that because of the genitals they are born with, that they must be certain things. Because when we speak of gender, we're speaking predominantly of gender roles. The idea, why does one group wear dresses? Why does the other group wear jeans? Well, there's nothing biological about it. Maybe you say the dresses have narrower shoulders, but that we chose to do that. If we wanted to, we could have it that all the people assigned male at birth are running around in dresses and vice versa with jeans and suits and what have you. Yeah, you're it's talking Oh, it's, it's completely arbitrary. And um, the arbitrariety is sometimes damaging. The idea that women should be better at housekeeping or that they should be better at so on and so forth, that can be harmful to them. It can be harmful to men because sometimes men will take their little daughters out to the park to play with them and they'll be assumed to be some sort of predator because, oh, women take care of the children, not men. What are you doing? These assumptions, they hurt both ways. Nobody benefits from them, really. But people still care very much about their gender. I care about mine. I like being a guy. I like looking the way I do and talking the way that I do. And I'll probably stay this way until I die. But what about my child and the child of theirs and so on and so on? Maybe 10 generations down the line, it's not so much that we're forcing them to not care about gender. They just don't care about it as much. We're already seeing this process in effect. 50 years ago, the idea of men wearing ear jewelry was very deviant. Nowadays, it's almost common, for younger people at least, in most parts of America, I would say. Um, with time, things are going to broaden in this respect. And while gender abolitionism will always be a sort of half-formed, uh, long-term project, in the long run, I think everyone here can agree that too much weight is placed on expectations and roles based on what types of bodies people are born with. And that the more we do away with that, the freer people can live their lives. Now for sex, obviously we'll always have sex differences, but we can address those in ways that are non-coercive, can we not? I mean, there's no reason to believe that just because some people are born with X bits or Y bits that we couldn't resolve anything having to do with that without invoking the dreaded gender rules. I think that we could do that just fine. And in fact, we already do in some cases. There are communities, I think, in Sweden where they raise their children gender neutral. It's all they, thems, or whatever the Swedish equivalent is, you know. And of course, these children, they're born, I mean, we would call it assigned male or assigned female at birth. And I'm sure they're given provisions, which respect. My chat is saying hen is the name they use for they, them, the Swedish name. Um, and I'm sure that they can accommodate whatever those biological 
expectations or needs are perfectly fine without relying on gender roles. That would be a component of gender abolition. But as long as gender means something to people, they should be able to practice it and live it as freely as they would like. Nothing coercive, only a shift in broader social standards. Sorry, that was extremely long-winded. I apologize. Hey, no, you're, you're fine. It was a better definition than you, that's what I was looking for. But, uh, you know, we've unfortunately, unfortunately, because I know Vosh, you're very busy. We've reached the end of our questionnaire. And, you know, just to let chat know, uh, Vosh's chat and other chats, this is a project to build a building in, it's going to be located in Northern Virginia, uh, outside DC area, not in the city, just for societal and safety concerns. Um, you can find us on Facebook. I've tagged Vosh's Facebook and uh, letting him know we're going to be here today. So Vosh, if you want to share that, you can find it through that. Of course. Uh, we're setting up a discord, the discord and the website are still in the works. We had a bit of trouble with the turf. So the websites needs to be repaired. So that's going to be a due to COVID website's going to be a few more weeks. Unfortunately, discord should be up in a week or two. All that will be posted on the Facebook page. And in the future, there'll be more of these streams talking about uh, gender abolition, intersectionality, because that's now becoming a recognized third gender um, and just other aspects of the museum. I just want to say, I really appreciate uh, you having me here and it was delightful to meet all of you. Thank you. Uh, I had, my community was watching this, some several thousand people and they spoke positively of all of you. I'm really looking forward to seeing this project develop. All right, well, thank you. And we'll be sure to touch base with you more as we do. I'll speak to um, all of you again. Take care. All right, have fun, Vosh.